In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... Welcome to episode 67, brought to you by the number of times I've had to relive that awful BYU Hail Mary on SportsCenter. <laughs> I am Nathan Martin, or the benefactor. I'm Emmanuel, the general. I am just Nick today. I'm Captain Crunchy, and uh, sometimes called Chase by my kids. <laughs> your, your by kids your kids? Call you by your first name? Nobody else? Yeah, you got a problem with that? That was a Don't death your kids in my call house. you by your first name? <laughs> Black kids can't do that. No, I just made that up. My kids never call me by my first name. Oof. He says now after he dug a hole. All right. So we actually have someone else in the studio with us. Yeah, we do have a we have another uh, guest besides, I guess, myself. We need a uh, mic for him, don't we? Yeah, hold a second. I mean, also, Hi, I am Plastic Chris Atwood, and uh, I tell you what, <laughs> the biggest uh, love I have in life is giving people hugs. <laughs> I hug everything. I, I'm just glad to be here. I, I'm giving John the Baptist a, a wicked hug right now. I hug the boo box, uh, the, the, the cereal we're going to be tasting later. I'm just glad to be alive and give people a hug. It's like we're gonna have Chris to Atwood that later. drove down from Indiana and was with us because yeah. that's totally what he sounds like. I, I don't, I've I never think. heard Chris Atwood talk. But I imagine that's how he sounds. That, that's how yeah. he sounds. Yeah, he he runs some... around without pants on, too. Wow. That's what I understand. Wow. Just before, noon, before noon, I, I run around just like Chris. Uh, no pants before noon. I got a rule. That's a good rule. That's Unless you're Emmanuel, I hear he's a big fan of pants. Indeed. I was about to say, so you're more in common with David there. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no belt for the podcast. Giving people random hugs. Just talking in a weird coffee voice that completely like david there's no literal no difference well speaking of david uh we're sad to report that he is serving up there goes john the baptist John oh well uh david is serving a one or two show suspension based on uh his (laughs) antics last week abusing grandmothers we do not tolerate that on the gospel uh, friends show so he is going to have to sit out a couple of games. They tested for right. Oh my gosh. Oh, Emmanuel, we can't suspend you too. <laughs> well, so technically, I mean, look, David, but the David space was, was here. here and then got suspended, so he can suspend Emmanuel until he comes back after the show. Maybe we can do that. That's true. That's true. Look, nobody argues that the space was David's. The problem comes in whenever you berate a older woman I don't think, for no reason. I don't think he, he berate, berate. Yeah, I don't think berate means that's what you think you, it that's means. Be, okay. That's because nice. you, first of all, you've never been on the Prince business of end of a, a David berating. Um, second of all, you're a David fanboy, and so I can't, I can't really help you there. Fair enough. <laughs> he's kind of, he's not nearly the spirit animal that Emmanuel is to me. But. <laughs> he, just, he just wanted the lady to know that she was wrong. Yes. Multiple times. Yes. Uh, under what right do you p- take this parking space, old lady? Exactly. Who gave you the right? Who gave you okay. the right? And according to Nick, it's because, well, I can't say that word on air, it's because she's a woman, 
So and women can just do whatever they want to do and get away. Incorrect. With it. That is an incorrect. I believe I heard you say that. Off there. <laughs> no, that is that exactly, is exactly what, what you said. said. <laughs> he, he said, "Why? why? Yeah, because she's a woman. edit point. Maybe, Which, maybe not. You know. Why is this an edit point? Of all the things, because I he was... has to go home. That's why it's edit point. <laughs> you got to go home, and we know your wife, Alex. and we're all afraid of her. So, <laughs> I love Lisa, and I, I, I do love Lisa. So, but I'm, but I'm afraid. That's, that's hilarious. This well, is awesome. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you, Nathan, all the way from Ohio via Panama City. That's right. Um, visited the HOD Church today, and that was a blast. Uh, hanging out with your family, going out to eat, and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, you are welcome here anytime. My gaggle. What? My gaggle. Yes, your gaggle of, of children. Well, you fit in right, right, nice and Look, well here at the. They HOD even got church. in on the the child to restaurant and back to church. Car swapping today. I mean, like I they that. they planted themselves firmly into that. Yeah, it's, I mean, our kids and your kids just kind of mixed together, and and that that was really cool and, and really fast. And I've got a question. Make sure you do a head count before you leave. I'm just plan. <laughs> you might have some stowaways. For those of us without children, uh, we always just have this question when we meet somebody who has a bunch of children. Yeah. Yes. Oh boy. Oh boy. What's your deal? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, you can also ask. Point this early, you know where children your, come from? People who have a what bunch of kids that? are very defensive about people's opinion of their having a bunch of kids. I'm not, it's just, it's just I'm funny not, to me. I really, I'm not really that defensive about you, it. You are not defensive about it. But there's uh, other people. In, I am. Some of them in the hall. I will they, say, I'm defensive about it. If you're a random stranger at Walmart, yes. <laughs> like I, so I can't be a proponent for uh, anti-abortion policies because of allegedly your ability to just do whatever the heck you want whenever you want, but you can berate my reproductive choices in a Walmart park, yeah. uh, like an aisle. That, that, that frustrates me a little bit. Yes. It's a man's right to choose how many kids he wants to have with his wife. I don't think that's how it works. Pants. Awkward silence. I will say this. I think uh, we all were like, all right, well, this is going to be an edit no, point. I, so I had comments. No, not yet. But I was afraid to say all no, of them. It's going to be too much fun. <clears throat> I have, uh, we, we don't have a huge family. We've got five kids. That's huge to some. Uh, every now and then, strangers <laughs> ask us about it. It's, it's never bothered me. Like, like for, for the jokes, the raised eyebrows, all this, eh, it's fine. You have your own opinion. I just laugh. Somebody says something, you know, untoward about the number of kids I have. I just laugh. It's funny. I mean, I, I never expected to. I, I was I was raised in a family of those two of us, me and my sister. I, I assumed my wife and I would have two kids. Well, we've had well, we have five at this point. Uh, I suspect we're through, but who knows? Uh, we might adopt uh, one or two, as uh, has been mentioned before. But it's oh, never been thing, a big though. deal. That's the thing. You can have as many as you want as long as you didn't procreate to get all seven. As you, if you have seven, you, your limit's two or three of your own. You can adopt as many as you want. Oh, is that is that true? I didn't, yeah, I didn't that's know kind the of rule. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you guys are teaching me stuff. Yeah. Somebody asked me at church today. They were like, y'all want to have like a whole, you know, four or five kids? And I just looked at it like she was crazy. I was like, <laughs> you see the smile on my face? This is why I can do that. Yeah, you know, I uh, we and we we're, did, well, I'm enjoying we're enjoying life. We didn't have any multiples either. And people, you know, okay, we have six now, but we didn't just start out with six kids. Like it's, you know, it, it's you, something you that add, unfolds over time. You add them one at a time. It's kind of oh, like man. other things, you know, in your household, you know. It's like you look around all of a sudden you got 10 TVs, you're like, oh, "How did I get 10 TVs?" It's just ha- Black Friday. 
yeah, over time. Fair. Hey, speaking of Amazon kids, Amazon had a good sale. You know what kids like? Cereal. Kids like cereal. And, and I, I've got a not our worst transition ever. For <laughs> thank you. I've got a I've got a cereal for us to review today. I thought it was it is. Uh, this was my favorite cereal. When I was a kid, um, it's not as good now. They reformulated it, but it's okay. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to get your opinion, guys, on how okay it is. We are dealing today with General Mills Booberry Cereal, and it's going to lead us into a discussion of whether Christians should celebrate Halloween. Oh, wait. No, it's not. We're just going to eat the cereal and review it. So I will pass it over to you, Nick. Nick, you're first because I have somehow lost my plastic cup slash bowl. And I found it. Thank you. Yeah, this is, this is great radio. Thanks, this liberals, is, is awesome. for ruining cereal. Yes, thank you, liberals. That's another thing you've ruined. That is sort of a joke. Oh boy. While we're pouring the cereal, I'll give us a, a quick rundown of what's on topic for today. We are playing the Gospel Friends Jeopardy, thanks to Emmanuel, the Game Master. We are going to be talking about uh, the Southern Baptists cutting 4,000, maybe more, missionaries from the field. And that's only a slight exaggeration. Nick will correct <laughs> it shortly. Say, wait, but. And we're going to talk about the clerk in KY who has been uh, arrested for uh, some sort of uh, refusal to give out marriage certificates. And I'm sure... Everybody will have something interesting to say about that. And we'll close out the show with listener feedback, and um, that'll do it for Episode 67, which I bet is going to be better than Episode 66. Oh, Lord, please. Well, now, there's way to, some way to, way to set that bar high. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but see, that was the thing. Pre-show discussion, there was, there was some redemptive value in 66 after, oh, Emmanuel, cereal foul. Whoa, whoa. Disaster. We've had a spill. Yep. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> well, that's the problem. We have metal spoons in plastic cups, and, and generally speaking, with men, that is a recipe for disaster. And I'm clumsy enough on my <laughs> is own. Is that a law without, of nature that I'm not familiar with? Without help. Yes, it is a law of nature. We'll, the yeah, because men will try to balance it in there knowing that physically it would not work. Yes. Unless you're into theoretical physics, it can, you know... While uh, while we're eating, guys, I'll just go ahead and throw out a very lighthearted question. Nate Salah posted in the Hall of Dogma. Uh, all right, fellas, first post for me. Be kind. I keep seeing this pop up every now and then. So here's my question. Are any of you theistic idealists? And if so, why? By the way, I'm a substance dualist. Nick, we're going to go to you first for the answer to that question. What do you think about that? That question makes me wish marijuana was legal in our state. Everything makes you wish marijuana was legal in our state. No, but I thought I'd play to the joke. Speaking of munchies, this is pretty good. <laughs> nice. Well done. He is comedy gold. Good. We've got to have him back. Here's a pro tip. Milk is good for cotton mouth. Mm-hmm. It does affect the mouth feel. Oh, my gosh. So many callbacks are going to happen this show, aren't they? You, do you have your spreadsheet pulled up in a window so you like you have a, a specific number of? So, I'm trying this uh, blueberry. I think this is probably the first time. I, this is the first time I've had the redone formula. My family growing up couldn't afford the name brand cereals, so we got like Boo Boo Crisp or whatever the like top bottom shelf where I had to actually get down on my hands and knees and the crawl generics. under. From, yeah. 
Oh, man. So, Boo-boo Chris does not sound that appetizing. It, want it's you to know. It, None of them do. But a little scary. Like unfortunate naming. Blatant ripoffs of, like, Cocoa Krispies was, like, Cocoa Tsunami or whatever. I don't know. Oh, they even got to be so quick as to say Choco Krispies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that's what my family could afford. So, I didn't get the uh, the high-end, the high the high-end shelf, uh, high-shelf uh, cereals, but... Um, this is um, this is interesting. It's not the worst cereal I've ever had, so I'm gonna go. Are we doing the rating now? Or are you gonna explain the rating? Well, no, no, we're ready. Uh, the, if it's a great, it gets five spoons. If it's abysmal, like slightly worse than holy crap cereal, it gets a half a spoon. I think we give. I think we gave holy crap a one spoon. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm so glad I wasn't here on that episode. Well, you can try some now because it's right here on the table. The picture alone was just <laughs> disgusting. This this has been this has been in the milk for a while and it's held up pretty good. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, You're saying it has a good mouthfeel, right? Well, the mouthfeel is excellent. <laughs> the uh, the the actual bowl feel, I guess, as far as the sogginess ratio, um, like. It's not going to get soggy before the bottom of the bowl, um, so I, I give that. I'm going to go with uh, three and a half spoons. It's a, wow, it's, you are generous. It's it's uh, it's not too sweet. It just has the right level of sweetness. I, I think I'm going to go with three and a half spoons. All right, over you, IP Marsh. I'm going to give it a three. I mean, I appreciate crunchiness. That's like one of my high, you know, it's one of the high things on my list. It has to be crunchy and stay crunchy for a while. But it's kind of bland for a, a, it is. a, a cereal that you look at. It's got the bright blue box. It's got a ghost on it. You know, it's it's got, you know, marshmallows in it. It should be sweeter than it is. Um, completely agree. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. Yeah. And not enough marshmallows. The sugar out of our cereal. Not enough marshmallows either. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can you? Oh, there were marshmallows in it? See, he didn't. I had two. I had. I had two. I think as well. Maybe three. Okay, man, I'm going to go with a three then. I didn't realize it was supposed to have marshmallows. Yeah, in. Oh, penalty there. I'm going to go three. All see, right, Narco Nick. I'm, see, I'm in the two and a half to three range. I'm undecided because I think you're actually swaying me to a two and a half because I was going. You know, is it? Is it? Am I thinking it's just too bland because I'm not? We don't have a lot. We just went with a small amount. But yeah, you you get this idea that it's going to have some yeah, pretty some, some potent flavor. Um, I'm not necessarily. Heavy on the fruit cereal anyway. I'm more of like a peanut butter or a chocolate guy. Mm. Um, so it wouldn't have been something I would have looked at and gone, ooh. But if it was at the house, I probably would have considered having a bowl. And then I would have been disappointed because it yeah. was too bland. See, and the then, disappointment is what makes exactly, it worse. Exactly. Um, I'm probably going to have to go two and a half just because it just – it would have been a cereal I wouldn't have picked off the shelf anyway. And then to still disappoint, it's just like, yeah, the, come the, on. the box makes promises that yep. the cereal does not deliver Agreed. on. Yeah, I agree with that's, that. That's, that's a good word. Okay, here – I, my, my mama taught me to start with the positive, so I'm going to start with the positive. The marshmallows are excellent. They have the exact right pop mm-hmm. that a marshmallow should have when you eat it. It's not mushy at all. They they, they got that sugary pop that that's wonderful. But where's the blueberry flavor? Where's the sugar? I I don't want health food when I'm eating this. General Mills, you better listen to this review and reformulate your cereal again because this is a pile of disgust. Please spend millions of dollars. Look, just throw another scoop of cereal in and maybe some blueberry flavor. That's all it would take. 
fix your cereal. You've been put on notice, Jim. There you go. Two and a half spoons. We don't want to have to say it again. And that's no, the thing. we don't want to come find you because we will. And this is name brand. This is General Mills. This is yeah. not their. This off is brand. the real stuff. Yes, yeah, so that's. It's got a real ghost on it. It's a beautiful package, but it has the box tops for education and everything. It does. Yeah, How see. many do you get? I don't know. Look on the top box yeah, top. One. Just one. Oh, man. You used to get more than that. And Joe Mills, you should have more box tops for education. Yeah. yeah. Commies. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Before we get to the game, I do have uh, We never did answer Nate's question, by the way. Crime tip. Which is, if you live in a state where certain herbals are illegal, the best way to import said herbals into your state is... When are you all supposed to cut me off before I get myself into trouble? Uh, Cereal boxes. Cereal boxes is good. Hollowed out headphones. They never check those. Wow. And that's been Chase's crime tip of the day. Chase's weekly crime tip. Wow. Don't try this at home. Do or have, your own state. Do we so have why a jingle did you call for that? We probably no. should. We should have a jingle for that, right? Like, <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> like, we, that's awesome. Chase's crime weekly stoppers. crime tip. Yeah, the old yeah. crime dun, stoppers. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, uh, introduction. Crime, like, crime dog McGruff, remember him? Oh, yes. He <laughs> was introduce awesome. It. That is awesome. I miss McGruff. See, if David was, was here, he would not let me give my crime tip of the week. But Hi, I'm since he's on Plastic suspense. Chris Atwood, and I'm <laughs> presenting... Chase's weekly crime tip. He would be the great sponsor for that. All right, that's what do we learn today, kids? Hashtag hollowed out headphones. Yes. Yeah. Twenty nine. Yeah. All right. Just go to com for more <laughs> ways to wreck so, mayhem. Please, somebody buy that domain. <laughs> please. Um. <laughs> All right. Understand. I am making a note because that plastic Chris Atwood. Hey, Plastic Chris Atwood is awesome. That is a great way to stash your hash. I like that. That's it. In your headphones. That's right. In your headphones. All right, Emmanuel, I understand you're going to lead us in beating the living tar out of each other in a game, and I can't wait. Let's play a game. Cue the music that Nick doesn't do anymore. What happened to the good old days, Nick? (laughs) Where we used to have sound effects. Remember, Nick used to end the show. I do remember that. (laughs) Now, if somebody accidentally swears, you just hear the swear. It's very embarrassing. (laughs) Well, I was pretty sure I haven't missed any of those. Uh, I don't know. Have you listened to the show lately? (laughs) Not if I can help it. All right, so Emmanuel. Okay, here's the game. It's the return of Jeopardy, and uh, we have five categories. High school literature, which is books that you may have been assigned to read when you're in high school. Yes. Um, for those of you who are homeschooled and don't know what grade you're in, just play along anyway. Um, <laughs> Saturday morning fired. cartoons. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Famous Martins. These are people who are famous, and their first or last name is Martin, in honor of our guest, the A-Team. I know these are very theology, These are theology terms that would that begin with the letter A, and finally, church culture. And oh my! We're going to let the guests go first. Whoever, if you get a if you get an answer right, you still have control of the board. If you miss it, it will give somebody else time to. Uh, after that, you just buzz in. Uh, we don't have buzzers, but you just yell out something. So, what are you going to go with first, Emmanuel? I'm going to go with uh. Cartoons for 100. 
Cartoons for 100. Baloo the Bear starred in this Disney series. What is Tailspin? Tailspin is correct. Nice. I'm going to go with, uh, with carton, uh, Cartoons for 200, please. 200. These creatures' antics took place underwater. Who are the Snorks? The Snorks is Whoa, correct. That's, a, that's, wow. that's good. That's good. I'm going to go with uh, Cartoons for 300, please. 300. He's gonna this cartoon it. canine croons about his beloved Clementine. This cartoon canine croons about his beloved Clementine. Who is Huckleberry? Huckleberry Hound is correct. I knew that one. You still control the board, Nathan. I'm going to go with uh, cartoons for 400. 400. An Americanized version of a Japanese cartoon that featured a robot with a rocket punch. What is Voltron? Voltron is incorrect. Buzz, what is Transor Z? Transor Z is correct. Boom! Chase is on the board with 400. And you control the board, Chase. I'll take cartoons for 500. Cartoons for five. This teen transformed into a red sports car. What is Jace? (laughs) That is not correct. Dang. Oh, shoot. I know what it is. I'm not going to say that. I remember it, but I can't. Jace and the Wheel Warriors. That's close. The correct answer was Turbo Turbo Team. Dang it. Dang it. I can't believe it. It was only on for one year. Fumbled the ball. But it was ridiculous, and it was awesome. All right. I still have control of the board, right? Yep. Let's go High School Literature 100. High School Lit 100. A noble gnat indeed. What? A noble gnat indeed. Oh, dear. That doesn't sound like a 100-point question. Um... It's a bo- Are you arguing to say a book? Is that a general? It's a book title. Okay. They're, they're all book titles. Okay. Noble Nat. Yeah. Uh, what is Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Flies ah, is correct. I get it. It's a pun. Chase is on, still has control of the board. Let's go High School Lit for 200. High School Lit for 200. Crimson Correspondence? Uh, what is a Scarlet Letter? Scarlet Letter is correct. High School Lit for 300. 300. A foul murdered for making fun of people? Um, oh dear. Uh, uh, a foul, F O W L, yes, murdered for making fun of people. Oh dear, drawing a blank to kill a mockingbird. That is correct. Nice, nice. Nick controls the board in Alabama. I'll Um, break that one just because I want to see what it's going to bring to us. Church culture for a hundred. Church culture for a hundred. A gathering beset with semi-edible cuisine. <laughs> what is a potluck? Potluck is correct. <laughs> would you have also taken cover dish there? Yes, okay. I would have. Okay. Uh, let's go with church culture for 200. Church culture for 200. The widely accepted form of opposite gender embracing. What is the side hug? The side nice. hug is correct. Very good, very good. Nick has control of the board. Let's keep going for 300. Preacher's favorite thing to whine about this time of year. Oh, my goodness. It could be a couple things. Um, this time of year? Because of where we're at, I'm going to have to say, what is college football? Football is correct. <laughs> what if the preacher likes football? 
that you won't want about. I see. I, I was I was torn about it. We're coming off of summertime and budgets are getting hit because nobody's coming to church and they're not paying their tithes. Oh. Um, uh-huh. Church culture for four hundred. I was I, I was almost there. Like I, I was like that, Labor that Day attendance. Good. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Church culture for four hundred. Lie most often told from the pulpit. Oh no. A lie most often told from the pulpit. Oh, jeepers. Oh, my gosh. Um, eh, eh. That's fine. What is uh, – what is uh, – we're heading toward an ending here. That is we're correct. Done. Dang it. I yes. also would have accepted I'm wrapping up or I'm getting ready to close. <laughs> nice. Um, right. I would like to. I would like to point out it was the preacher who got that right. Yep. Yeah, because he closes I've, five times. I've, I've done I've, it before. Chase says. Before? Chase says we're rapidly just coming once. to the close. <laughs> is what a Chase says. It and just depends on your there. definition of the word rapid. How about that? All right, Man. let's go. Uh, Eighteen for one hundred. Eighteen for one hundred. The angel Gabriel's message to Mary. Oh, the enunciation. Enunciation is okay. correct. I was, I was thinking, what does that have to do with B.A. and Hannibal? All right. <laughs> um, the 18 for 200. For 200. E- Eternity is a long time to suffer. How about an alternative? Annihilationism. Annihilationism is correct. Yes. Wasn't in the form of a question. What is annihilationism? Nip picked them out. Okay. 300. Oh, well, actually, what, what do you want? What are you going? Where are you I was using it to object. The A-team, 300. 300. To be cursed or prohibited. Uh, to be cursed or prohibited. Oh, um, uh, what is um, what is anathema? Anathema is correct. All right. Okay. Do you feel ill-equipped for this particular? Oh, very much so. Can we go back to cartoons? <laughs> the A team for four hundred. Four hundred. Luther was accused of being this. Uh, what is? Um, oh, jeez. Not antinomian. Um, what is? Oh, geez. I'll just say antinomian. That is correct. Oh, it is. Okay, wow. good. I Chase thought still controls okay, the board. Uh, 18 for 500. 18 for 500. The period before the Great Flood. Uh, what is the antediluvian period? Antediluvian is correct. Chase swept the category and still has control of the board. Let's go Famous Martins for 100. Famous Martins for 100. This Martin was a rat. Uh, huh. <clears throat> was a rat? This Martin was a rat. Who is Martin Sheen? Nope. Okay. Who is Martin Lawrence? No. Dean Martin, part of the Rat Pack. Uh, well done. I was thinking well Ratatouille. I'm like, Martin Sheen was not the voice of that, but I can't think of it. That was a good one. You, you still control questions. the board? All right, let's go Famous Martins for 200. He shot a few good fellas. What is Martin Scorsese? Scorsese is correct. All right. Famous Martins for 300. For 300. He isn't as diminutive as his name would suggest. What is Martin Short? Who Martin is Short Martin is Short? Short. <laughs> Famous Martins for 400. He was kind of a jerk. Uh, who is Steve Martin? That is correct. You wouldn't get that one. Famous Martins for 500. He once lost a race with a wig. Eh, <laughs> 
Who is Martin Van Buren? Martin Van Buren is wow. correct. Way to go, Nathan. Our eighth president. I was I was thinking of Herwig. That's that's I good. know. It was a funny that's play good. on Leave words it to you I to get the politic question. That is Man. beautiful. I Impressive. tried to have something here for everybody. That's great. Impressive. Nathan Martin controls Manual. the board. Church culture for 500, man. Church culture for 500. Did you call him Vanna? <laughs> I think he did. When you I want to delic- <laughs> delicately probe about someone's sin, you ask this question. Can you repeat that, please? When you want to delicately probe about someone's sin, you ask this question. The... Oof. It's like, how can I pray for you? That is incorrect. Oh, it might. I might allow it if, if Chase didn't get it. But that 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 is a is a question. I, I was going to say the same thing. Mind. Do you have any prayer requests? I'll give the points to Nick on that. The question was, "How's your walk?" Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> nice, nice. nice. I still control the board, though, right? No, we're going to give it to Nick. Oh, oh, Nick got some Nick points. Oh, look, we're st- we're stuck with school lit for four hundred. High school lit for 400. Miniature misses. Oh, uh, what is Little Women? Little Women is correct. And that's the final clue is uh, high school lit for 500. Communist pigs. Oh, um, what is Animal Farm? Animal Farm is correct. Boom. Well done, Nick. Wow. Wow. That was fun. Now that was a add, lot of fun. Good job. Add everything up. I should have had like a final Jeopardy question, but that's too much work. So <laughs> let me add up all the scores. I think Chase definitely has it. No, no, it's it's close. Well, well, Chase, yeah, Chase. The thing is, we need buzzers because if you just give somebody control and nobody else gets to buzz in first, it kind of that is. I realized that, is that toward the middle, like, and the winner is Chase Thompson. By 400 Ooh. points. He just beat you. Congratulations. 3,100 to 2,700. Mm-hmm. Hooray. Good job. Good game, Look, man. <laughs> and the difference, Chase. Have to figure out a way to buzz, to make buzz in better than, than we did because that's, that's how Chase ran away with it. But The difference was absolutely the, uh, the 400 on the preaching. I'm so, I'm so disappointed with myself. I missed that. Oh well, great yeah, game, Emmanuel. Yeah, yeah, that was that that could have put you over. That could have put you in a tie. Look, I couldn't tell if you were being Emmanuel about it, and um, you were going to say something like "God loves each and every one of you" <laughs> and be an election joke. And so uh, I, I kind of I was torn a little bit. I tried to stay away from from Calvinist. Show. I, I almost had a category <laughs> called Calvinist script, and it was nice. Just, oh, I would have loved it. Okay, uh, that was time. All right. Well, that was a great game, Emmanuel. We will go ahead and. Um, Move into um, some content here. Um, kind of an update on the IMB. Uh, we've talked about uh, David Platt's become the president of that and um, some of the changes that were made there regarding um, the, the IMB's stances on things. And now, um, this week, August 27th, we get a report um, that the International Mission Board overspent by $210 million over the last six years. Um, there's a $21 million deficit for 2015, and um, in, in, in an effort to start to make remedy for that, um, the Southern Baptists will cut between 600 to 800 missionaries and staff. And so kind of a um, couple of different ways we've, we've thought about this in show prep. Um, there's obviously those who will applaud the IMB for trying to be more responsible with their budget. Um, there are those that will say, why didn't you restructure this somehow to, to keep the missionaries in the field? Um, a lot of different ways to approach this. Guys, kind of 
any kind of thoughts on this guy. We'll kick it to the guest first, Nathan. Yeah, so my initial reaction, I read through the, the article, and I mean, it makes good business sense, right? I mm-hmm. mean, what they're doing, uh, it's getting to a point where it's untenable to keep on doing the overspend. And it, it's not as if they're, quote unquote, deficit spending because they do have significant reserves, right? They have uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in reserves um, that they're now cutting into because of the deficit spending. So it's not as if they're going, quote unquote, bankrupt and sure. and they're going to be kicking people out. Um, and it does look like they're doing it responsibly like by doing it through they're just not going to replace missionaries who are retiring. Um, and so that was – it, it's the responsible way to go about cutting uh, um, staff missionaries out in the field. Um, but to me, I think it speaks to a larger issue, and that is the funding mechanism that we have or the thought process. Um, and I kind of use Royal Week because I'm not kind of in this group. But uh, the the funding mechanism that we traditionally as the Christian church have had for sending missionaries out in the field um, – Part of it is I think we're going to have to change the way we kind of do business. Uh, in, uh, in in business world, we, we refer to this as creative dis- d- uh, d- uh, creative uh, destruction. This you know the, the thought process that we no longer make buggy whips anymore. That we make other things. You know, we make transmissions, and you know we have to kind of adapt. And if you don't adapt in the business world, you you're if you're not growing, you're going to die because uh, you have to be able to come up with new ways to do things. Right. And maybe our funding mechanisms and the, the way that we've funded traditionally is going by the wayside and we need to look at uh, different um, ways to actually fund uh, these folks going out in the field. Uh, maybe we need to look at our you know the content generation that's coming out of these people from the field to people back home that are supporting them. You know, there's a lot of different mechanisms there, I think, uh, that we can look and do better. Um, so to me, I think it, it, at the same time, I'm like, eh, not necessarily a big deal because of the way they're approaching it, but it does w- raise some red flags. Obviously, um, I, I look at one of America's greatest successes as being how many missionaries we've sent out throughout the entire world in our history. Um, it's, just it's a huge number yeah. and it's one of our greatest legacies as far as the american church is concerned is sending out missionaries you know when you look at the 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 evangelical uh reach and missionaries around the map and the amount of growth and people groups and language barriers we've been able to crush because the american church has been able to fund and send out these massive amounts of missionaries. And I'm just talking about the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm talking about, you know, whether it be Church of God, which is the denomination I belong to, uh, and many other evangelical denominations. Like, as much flack as we get for not being, quote-unquote, as evangelical as we seem, we do invest a lot of money in sending people uh, overseas and to kind of fulfill the, the Great Commission and go. Um that said, though, I think that there's a, a great way that we can continue to grow in that and do things better. Um, and, you know, 
I, when you guys talked about this kind of before and talked about Platt's call to, you know, we all have a missionary calling. The Great Commission doesn't just apply to those who we fund and send out. It applies to all of us at some level. Um, I think that he's going about coming up with new ways to lead the IMB and do things a little bit differently. And I think this is the beginning stages of it. And as is with all change in any organization, whether it be you know IBM, whether it be Apple, whether it be Best Buy, whether it be any of these you know uh, large corporations, uh, whether it be Google, there's going to be some growing pains to go towards a new vision and a new way of doing things. And I think this is what the IMB is going to be going through the next few years. Um, and if if I was in the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Um, I think I would thank my my stars and lucky stars that uh, that's not really a Christian term, is it? But I, I would thank God. <laughs> that's never stopped us before. Uh, nope. I would I would thank God that David Platt's in that position because I think his heart and his vision for what the IMB needs to be and needs to be responsibly um, is. He's from what I've seen. He's the right person for the job, um, and but it's going to take these little growing pains, and we're going to have to decide for all of us as the church how do we do this more effectively? Because my biggest, you know, my my sister is a missionary, and my my biggest problem with the thinking of domestic first is how many churches actually do that, and. You know, we all talk about it and we say, well, we should take care of our own community first. Well, I don't see a lot of churches doing that. So if you're not going to do that, you might as well send missionaries somewhere else. The problem is they just use it as an excuse. They don't want to spend any money anywhere. Um, and I, I think that is – that's a problem in the church. All right. It's a good take. Emmanuel, what, what, what do you think? What was the question again? Something about missions, Baptists, budgets, and David Platt. That's um, a pretty good synopsis, Jay. I'm torn. Like I, I think it, it probably needed to be done, uh, but at the same time, I don't like the the mindset that says that that puts money before ministry. But at the same time, you have to have you have like you know, practical concerns. I mean, they're, like I said, they're running a deficit, so you got to make the cut somewhere. But I, I kind of have a lot of respect for Platt in the sense that he's making the hard decision, um, which you'll see a lot of uh, ministries not really do. Um, but I'll tell you, with the money they save, they probably could buy a nice jet oh. and fly missionaries to their destination. That makes practical sense. It really yeah. does. Sixty-five million, you can get a uh, Airstream. Was it eighty-five? So you're saying David Platt is considering getting a Gulfstream for sixty-five million dollars, and it has pulled thousands of missionaries off the field for that purpose. I, I, I would not confirm nor deny those rumors. <laughs> okay, that is good, good. No, but but I, I think he's doing the right thing. Running a de- deficit um, like that is just not wise. It's, it's, that's not wise stewardship. And if they're elect, they'll. Gotta get the gospel to him anyway. They'll be they'll Beautiful. be good. So his, he has a theology for it. And the Calvinist jokes um, here. Beautiful. So you are uh, shooting from the hip, my brother. So I think it's a I think it's a good thing, unless you're one of those eight hundred missionaries. 
Okay. That's an interesting take as well. I I do think it sounds like the fiscally responsible thing to do. Over uh, over the last six years, the mission agency has racked up a – has overspent by $210 million. That is a lot of money. Uh, that is, uh, you know, slightly is is more than thirty million dollars a year deficit. It's almost four jets. Uh, it's a, it's a lot. You could get a lot with two hundred ten million dollars. Uh, now, since Platt has taken over two thousand fourteen, that deficit was uh, a th- has been three million dollars, three million per year. So it's significantly less. Still a significant debt. Um, I, I'm all for making a good fiscal decision. I, I got two. I got two main takes on this. Take number one is I think the days of sending out full time missionaries to most cultures where all they do is missionary work might be coming to a close. Now there are some close cultures like cultures of Papua New Guinea, uh, places like that where the culture is so different and so primitive that sending uh, somebody in, an American, European, for instance, to just work a job would not work. Mm-hmm. And most cultures in Papua New Guinea and, and many other native cultures around the world, that wouldn't work. You're not just going to send uh, a European American in to, to do a job there. But when you're talking about s- sending missionaries to France, you're talking about sending missionaries to Bulgaria, shout out to Owen, and, and places like that, there is more opportunity for that kind of missions work. We have our own uh, who is in China doing that kind of work. She is a uh, missionary, but she is also doing a job that's going to provide the large bulk of her income, and therefore she can be over there doing the work of the kingdom. Um, now, so so I, I think we're moving to a place where that should happen more and more, and I think Platt sees that, and he's leading the IMB that way. The, the only thing I would say, and, and you, you business guys are not going to like this, because what I'm going to say is going to sound on the surface fiscally irresponsible. Um, I, and, and so let me not be as definitive about it as I might be, but just to say this, the IMB is sitting on $160 million in their bank account. I understand the fact that you are, if you are running at a deficit, you need to stop the hemorrhaging and not just eat into your reserves. At the same time, if Jesus came back in 2016 and, and you're leading a mission agency that's sitting on top of $160 million, is that not something that Jesus cautions us about in the parable of the talents? Is that not a danger? Uh, I mean, I look, I know you want to keep them on the field. I know that reserve probably earns interest. It probably does work. It probably ensures that the missionaries we have in the field can stay in the field. But I would not want to be sitting on $160 million when Jesus comes back and be like, oh, well, we had a big savings account. Because mm-hmm. the way Jesus teaches in Scripture, building barns and storehouses and things like that, doesn't seem to angle towards that being an incredibly kingdom-minded sort of thing to do. Am I off base there? That's, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that's 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 a lot of money to just be uh, sitting there. there the agents, agency's total budget for 2015 was was about 301 million. They've got 168 million in reserves. What kind of what kind of savings? What kind of reserves would be responsible? Then I guess is the thought. Or do, I, I, or do you have to have reserves at all? Well, I, th- I think that um, 
every church, every business, every uh, you should have in your personal life you should have three months of income in reserves. I think that's that's fiscally sound um, advice. One hundred sixty eight is probably about six months. Hmm. Um, because what you don't want to have, especially when you're in a situation managing that kind of money, you don't want to have what you call cataclysmic failure, right? So uh, you don't want to be in a situation. And, and my understanding is that they haven't touched the reserves yet because they've been selling. They've been actually paying for these deficits by selling property overseas. That's correct. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, correct. So they're they're getting to a point where they're running out of properties to sell that they own. Um, and we can talk about whether that is a good strategy or not, but. You know that's how they've kind of funded their deficits. They haven't funded it through the reserves, so they kept the reserves. I have no problem with any organization having three to six months of reserves, um, to where if something drastically wrong happens, i.e., the stock market crashes, right, you're able to pay for people out in the field for six months without having to go back to the well, so to speak. Or even three months and then have money to get them home if you have to or something. It's about six and six point seven five months is quick. Yeah. So I phone calculator. I, I think I think having I think having six months of reserves is you know again, it's a lot of money and I think that a lot of times we look at large dollar signs and and we kind of think, Oh, well what could I do with that money? And you know, we think, Oh, wow, I'm you know, Ten dollars is important to me. I can't imagine having ten million in reserves must be nice. But then when you look at it, your actual operation budget, and you think, oh wow, so if I make forty thousand dollars, that would basically forty thousand dollars a year. That would basically be having twenty thousand dollars in a savings account, uh, operational reserves. If I lose my job, mm-hmm. and giving me time, well, that actually kind of makes sense because remember, they're not just responsible for themselves or their family they're responsible for over 4000 people yeah. out in the field um i think i think it's responsible to have that amount of money on in reserves now i understand i understand the point though too i sure yeah well now it, and again what you're saying you're sitting on that when jesus comes back it, first of all you're a post trip guy so and um second of all <laughs> sorry i love you um, Part of post-tribulational theology is that Jesus still – the imminence of Jesus is still possible. I, I, it's just conceivable that we Don't bring facts into this. That, signs. Look, <laughs> I just wanted a one-liner to make a punch at you. I didn't want facts uh, or anything. I see. I see. Um, punch away. <laughs> no, I don't really have a punch. Um, the idea of having um, – I guess here's my thought is I saw what Platt did in Birmingham with the church he pastored, the way he – he cut off frivolous spending. He challenged individual ministries to go, okay, that's bunk. That's that's you wanting to be more comfortable. That's not gospel. Um, he challenged them to cut unnecessary spending, um, find ways to, to leverage the resources they had in a more gospel-centric way. And so I guess having watched him do that on a smaller scale – makes me go, okay, there's a reason for this. Did they? Is there a projection out there that they're about to dip into this, they're just trying to maximize what they can do with the property or the people retiring or, or, or before they dip into this? Because if, if they can only spend 68 of this as opposed to half of it, well, then they're sitting on your half, you know, half or a quarter of a year. And so I guess the fact that, I, you know, having seen him do this before, I guess I trust the strategy, even though we may not know all the pieces to it. Um, I, I'm kind of, I'm of the mindset, you know, good on you, 
IMB for being more fiscally responsible. Um, there is definitely the the old um, somewhat uh, what is it? I can't think of the word. Anyway, um, former charismatic in me that kind of does go to the faith angle. You know, where's where's the the trusting the Lord to meet the needs and. There is that, um, but I do think the the Lord kind of points us to responsibility and not, you know, hiding, digging a hole and hiding your funds and not doing anything with it, um, but but being fi- being responsible. And this, to me, just speaks to some responsibility. Um, I hate that missionaries have to come out of the field to do it. Um, that's the point where I may I, I may consider dipping into the reserves if it could keep keep the missionaries in the field. Um, but but the thing that we that sometimes in the church we don't like to say is sometimes there's missionaries that may need to come home mm-hmm. and maybe their time is up or they need a time of refreshing refocus and so you, you never know this this may be part of part of how they are making sure they have the right people in the field and things like that so um, it's or that fort- they're they're needed in that particular area great great consideration as well so um, hate to hear that number. Um, but I, I love it when a, a ministry isn't just throwing out money however they can just to say they've got it and they want to be responsible with it. So there's my kind of or, 37 or, cents. Or another aspect of it that I, th- I think we're touching on it. Thank God that they're not just using this as a way to raise money. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, I absolutely. think that that's traditionally what would have happened, right? Oh, we're in a deficit. Oh, let's send out an urgent plea to everyone. Are you doing what you can to help out the IMB? We're going to have to bring home people, and that's going to mean more yeah. lives lost. And you know these kind of uh, these pleas for more finances, like good for them for adjusting their vision and their, and then being able to go back to the 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 Baptist churches and then say, you know, what, here's our plan and this vision. We've done what we can. Now we need to uh, go. You know. I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, my dad and grandpa always said that, you know, we do what's possible, God does the impossible. Hmm. So we take care of what's possible. And and sometimes that means that, you know, when I went on a missions trip with my dad and um, for me to be able to go, uh, that it, we would need a passport in 10 days. And that never happened. But Dad said, you know, we do the possible, God does the impossible. So we put in the packet, and lo and behold, I was able to go because the packet came back in 10 days. And so, Mm. you know, we do the possible, God does the impossible. There is a step of faith that requires us actually stepping into faith. And sometimes maybe this is a part of that. You know, I I, I deal with a lot of people who um, they talk about, oh, my finances are horrible, right? But they're not doing what's possible. Like they're not yeah. stopping, yeah. they're not stopping spending money on lottery tickets and cigarettes and cable TV. Like there, there comes a point where we actually have to do what's possible, and then let God work the impossible. And good. so, good on them for at least taking those initial steps. That's kind of what my takeaway was. That's a good thought. Um, I do have one quick question: Do do IMB minister, mis, uh, ministers missionaries get individual sponsorships, or is it all through? Um, they mentioned a. Um, an annual offering in the cooperative fund. Yeah, that's the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that's designed for overseas missions. I, you know, that's actually a good question. I'm fairly ignorant uh, of the topic. Um, I think it's possible that they can raise support on their own, but generally speaking, and maybe even exclusively speaking, a Southern Baptist missionary will be funded through the cooperative program. That's, and that's a different strategy that I, I, I wouldn't wonder if they would consider is um, 
the, the denomination I was raised in, missionaries, they would get some help from the denomination, but there would be a large, a large degree of um, funding they would yeah. be responsible for raising. So, and it sounds like Plaid is is considering doing a lot of yeah. uh, that that kind of thing. I, I will say, uh, even though what I said earlier could be interpreted as a slight criticism, I I'm very much in favor of what Plaid is doing overall, and it seems like even fiscally. The deficit that was six years ago running $30, $40 million a year has been cut down to uh, much, much more manageable. Right? Go plat. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys. Now we're to the main part of the show. This is the part where halfway through we all evaluate how our guest host is doing. So I'll go to you first, <laughs> Emmanuel. What do you think about Nathan so far? Uh, would you give him a five spoons out of five uh, or one spoons out of one? Do, do we want to use a rating scale for things we consume, per se? <laughs> That's a good when point. Rating? I was just kidding about that. We can't rate him while he's here. We have to wait till he goes home and then rate him. It would be awkward while he was here. We'd probably just be way too flattering, right? Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, I was yeah, about to say, Emmanuel's on the show. We're safe. Plastic no. Chris Atwood, what do you think about Nathan so far? It's Chris, it's Chris Atwood, and I think he's amazing, and he's a great hugger, too. Well, that's, those are strong words. Great mouthfeel, great hugger. This is, a, this is a high point for us. So, in other news, in Kentucky, which is a uh, southern state, slightly north of Tennessee, lives a county clerk that has been arrested this week for refusal to grant marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Miss Davis, who calls herself a Christian, identifies as a Christian, I should say, um, was ordered by a federal judge to issue certificates of marriage to same-sex couples. She refused, and now she is in jail for contempt of court. I suppose what we are going to do here on the show is a very dangerous thing. We are going to discuss the situation, and we are going to stand in judgment, at least in the sense where each one of us will describe what we would have done in her situation and whether we think that she did the right thing. Nicholas, with a bit of fear and trembling, I will go to you. What would you have done in this situation were you Kim Davis? Of KY. Um, I'll say I wouldn't have issued the certificates, um, mm. but I don't know that I would have uh, prolonged that long in the role. Um, so I don't know that that's, that's the hill you want to down or the way you want to die on that particular hill um, being found in contempt of court. Um, I'm just not sure. Um, but I, I don't, I could not, I could not have issued the certificates. It's just, my view of the word and how it outlines marriage um, would keep me from being able to to issue them, um, but I do not think I would have defied the law of the land to do so. Now, um, where that gets particularly hairy is um, the – and this is where – um, Captain Politic over here um, will help um, kind of my understanding of this a little bit better. But this was not a law that was passed the way we pass laws in our country. Um, and so I understand why she has – she feels she has some legal grounds on which to stand um, against the the ruling. Um, but the fact is, is it's being held up as a law of the land. And I just – I don't know that I would have defied that either. And so 
um, I probably would have um, opted to resign my role, basically stating this is why I will not fulfill this position, um, resigned it, and trust the Lord to uh, honor that stance in my employment, um, having would have resigned kind of not afraid for my livelihood, um, believing that the Lord will meet those needs. Um, but yeah, they wouldn't get issued if it was me. So, all right, Emmanuel, I am torn. I, I you said off the air that this the, the issues we're t- discussing today have a great deal of nuance to them, and yeah. and this is one of the most nuanced topics we've ever discussed. Yeah, and I think I would issue the license. Because I don't know that I was – Christians nowadays see themselves as endorsing all kinds of stuff by these innocuous acts. And I realized she had to sign her name. Um, but even then, I would think the sign of my name was in, was signing my name as a employee of the state, not signing my name as me. Because um, hmm. she didn't have any authority on her own anyway. She is signing as an employee of the state. Um, so I think that I would give the certificates because – I'm not going to give everybody else sin test when they come in about whether I, there's a lot of people I think shouldn't get married, you know? Um, am I not going to, you know, give them a marriage certificate? There's a lot of people who are sinners like everybody <laughs> who are coming in and getting married. Am I not going to give them certificates? You know, there's people who, you know, they didn't get a biblical divorce. They're living together. There's a whole bunch of issues about as, I don't like to back myself into a corner like that. And I realize people say, well, it's a conscience issue of conscience. I think Christians have begun to defy our consciences a little bit too much because just because it's an issue of your conscience doesn't mean that you're right. It just means that you've been taught us. A conscience is just a set of internalized rules. They don't have to be true. So because somebody has taught you that issuing a marriage certificate to gay people and you know, is, somehow you endorsing their sin, she believed it. And I just don't think that's the case. Um, so I think I would, I'd have to be in, in that position to really see how I felt about it. I've been in a, in a job where they asked me to do something that I thought was unethical and I wouldn't do it. And, you know, so I've, I've, I've you know, I, <laughs> there was no jail time involved, but uh, I definitely wouldn't have went to jail for this. Like there's bigger issues like, I'm not going to jail over this. I just find another job. You know, it's just it's just not worth me going to jail. I think, and I'm and I'm okay with Christians standing up for what they believe in. I just sure. don't know that this case warrants the attention that it gets. And frankly, the martyr talk irritates me. Like I, she's she's not a martyr. She's just a Christian with a bad conscience. That that's pretty much it. Her conscience is bad. Her conscience is telling her things that really. The Bible doesn't say you can't issue a birth, a, a wedding certificate, marriage certificate, as an employee of the state, or you're sinning. Like you're stretching some things to get there. So I, I, that's my take. So your position, generally speaking, is that you do not believe homosexual marriage is biblical. Nope. But you also do not believe that issuing a marriage certificate for a homosexual couple is unbiblical. Is that right? Yeah. Now here's the thing. Now I, I am a, you know, ordained minister. Um, I would not marry a homosexual couple because that is endorsing it. But if I worked for like you know some Vegas drive-in or something, you know, drive-through marriage thing, and 
I don't think that'd be endorsing it. Now, if I was a, working there as a minister, one thing, but just you back yourself to a, a corner pretty quick when you just say signing your name is endorsing something when everybody knows that that you uh, are working for the state. It's not you, she's not marrying anybody. The state is. Um, so her her trying to tell the state to do what what you know what to do with their marriage license is not a reason for her to go to jail. It's just you know. It's just not a, it's just not a, a big deal for me. I'm not going to jail for that. Okay. So so you would have done what she would have done. Nick, instead of being put in that position, you would have resigned. I'm very curious, Nathan, you bastion of conservatism, what would you do in this situation? Yeah, don't paint him with a broad brush or anything. Yeah. Not a bit. And, and, and let me add this before Nathan starts. The, the difficulty, and he's going to bring this out, the difficulty comes in is where does your behavior as a Christian, defending your behavior, defending yourself as a Christian and defending yourself as a citizen, how do you navigate those two? Because I think those are two different things. Hmm. You know, if she was defending herself as a citizen, I actually think she has a bigger leg to stand on than defending herself as a Christian. But go ahead. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, <clears throat> so there's a couple. This this story is so full of nuance; it's very difficult to drill down on it. But I will say this first: she is an elected person. This is not this is not somebody who works at the county office who. Um, is an employee there that has to sign their name. It's an elected position in Kentucky. Some places it's not, but in Kentucky it is actually an elected position. Hmm. I think that there's uh, – when you come to, to religious freedom principles, uh, generally speaking, uh, there's something called accommodation. And can a reasonable accommodation be made for somebody's religious views? So she does not want to issue any marriage licenses. Now, according to the state of Kentucky, uh, the county clerk, part of their jobs and responsibilities um, is to issue marriage licenses um, and to also file and record all marriage certificates. My understanding is she has no problem filing and recording all marriage certificates. She just does not want to issue the marriage license because she herself is signing that the person is able to be married. Now, a lot of people, a lot of states have litmus tests on what they consider um, you have to follow to actually receive a marriage license. Uh, So unlike what people may believe, just because you love somebody doesn't mean you can just marry them. Like There are actual things in place even before this Supreme Court ruling that you have to fit. So you... It can't be somebody who's uh, directly related to you, right? Um, it has to be actual consensual, right? So you're not marrying somebody at gunpoint. Now, there are, there are certain things that are in place, certain regulations already in existence on marriage, um, heterosexual marriage, um, that were already in existence. And a county clerk is the one who asks those questions and um, signs their name that those fulfillments uh, by the law are – Accepted. Kentucky has a marriage amendment on record. According to the Constitution of Kentucky, marriage is between one man and one woman. So the county clerk, the 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 issue is is who whose supremacy reigns here. So she is saying. I have to sign my name saying that these people can lawfully be married in the state of Kentucky. And I do not believe that they should be lawfully married in the state of Kentucky. Now, she has said that that's a, a, 
because of her religious beliefs, she has chosen to take a religious stand on this issue, not a legal stand. I think I would have taken the legal stand. If you're asking me what I would have done, I would have taken the legal stand. I would have said, listen, according to the laws of Kentucky and the Constitution of Kentucky, this is the law. And the Supreme Court said this thing, and that's really great. But I, my job is to interpret Kentucky law, and Kentucky law says this, so I'm refusing to sign these certificates. I would have been very blatant about it a little more uh, than she has. She's saying I don't, I'm not going to do any marriage licenses, period. So you're setting up a state versus federal yeah, See, I would have had no problem with, that, with, that, with her going that That never route. goes bad, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I would have had no Civil problem with a legal joke. argument. Uh, so, that's, that, so what would I have done? That's what I would have done. Now, the other thing here is, too, is there a level of accommodation? Yes. Why in the world does a county clerk have to sign these things? If we're, if we're basically in a world where there are no regulations on marriages, then why in the world does a county clerk have to sign off on these things anyways? Why in the world cannot the state of Kentucky make a, an accommodation that county clerks don't sign these things? We're just going to give these things out like candy. Anybody in the office can actually hand them out. That doesn't seem like a um, – a poor accommodation. So the accommodation should be there. The second thing is, who does she answer to? She's an elected official. She doesn't answer to me. She doesn't answer to Emmanuel. She answers to her constituents. And she sure as heck doesn't answer to uh, a judge. So the when she comes up for re-election, right, her constituents are going to decide whether that accommodation is benefiting to them. So if the state of Kentucky says, fine, in this particular county, I don't know what county it is. In this particular county, um, you're not going to be able to get a marriage license. You have to go over to the county next door. We're going to make an accommodation, etc., um, to accommodate this person's religious beliefs. If her constituents said, you know what, the state accommodating her religious beliefs is ridiculous, then they'll decide that at the ballot box. And I think that's where it needs to be. But I think this has actually opened up um, a much larger conversation, and it is – when is it okay to break the law? Because this is the rule of law. You know, when we talk about the rule of law, I am a very much a rule of law guy. I, I, I always have been. I always err. I should I always always err on the side of rule of law. It's always been my belief that a part of giving to Caesar was Caesar's is understanding the rule of law. But there's an interesting dynamic that we do have in America as well, and that is who's Caesar? According to our Constitution and our laws, we are all Caesar. It's something that Russell Moore brings up when he talks about um, why we should be involved with public policy of uh, abortion. This is why when I give talks to people about why should the church be involved with public policy issues, why is that? Because we're all Caesar. We are all accountable. Everything that happens in our government happens because we will it. Because it is the will of the people, which includes us. And so when we decide to stay home and not vote at the ballot box in a large block, over uh, 7 million evangelicals, some numbers say, um, in both 2008 and 2012, stayed home, didn't even go out and bother voting, inaction's action, I firmly believe. Like, we're making a statement. And so I believe we have a bit of responsibility we don't have the benefit of being in Roman times where we can just say, you know what, Caesar's will is over us. We don't have any role in this. That's not true. We're all Caesar. Uh, you know, we're all Caesar. And we're all pilot washing our hands, so to speak. And so you know, when it comes to us being involved in public policy, we do have that step. But 
again, even when we have that involvement, when is it okay to actually not obey the law? When is it okay to tell the judge no? Um, and so if you will permit me, I like to read probably the best, um, the best treatise on when it is acceptable to break the law that has been um, written, I would say, in the last um, 70 years. And that is, ironically enough, uh, Martin Luther King's uh, letter from the Birmingham jail. And he says, you express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. And this is certainly a legitimate concern, since we so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954 outlawing segregation in the public schools. It is rather strange and paradoxical to find us consciously breaking laws. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer is found in the fact that there are two types of laws. There are just laws and there are unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine when a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. So when we talk, that's probably the best application of when a law is just or unjust. And for a lot of us Christians, and I'm definitely not speaking for all Christians, but for a lot of us Christians, the Supreme Court ruling is completely out of whack with not just moral law, but also natural law. And so when we, we're going to face this more and more and more of when is it okay um, to actually break these laws? Because we talk about kind of in our bubble of, well, as long as they're not affecting how churches do business and as long as they're not affecting how pastors do business and as long as they're not telling a pastor who they can or cannot marry, then we're okay. Let's force the baker to bake the cake. Let's force the, the floral, uh, flower person to do the flower arrangement. Let's, let's force the, the photographer to take these innocuous pictures of a ceremony. Let's do that because at the end of the day, it's not really affecting us in the church. And I think that one thing I appreciate about Ms. Davis is her willing to take a stand in seemingly a very small issue. Because we have seen, human history has taught us that these small issues, if they're not addressed and they're not tackled, become big issues over time. Um, I, I want to kind of throw a question at you, and, and, and I love the perspective there. Um, I didn't want to interrupt you because you're on a roll, but I do kind of have a, a backup a, a layer. Um, when you were talking about we're all Caesar, and I love that, um, I do think it's it should um, rile up a few believers that, are content to stay home on election day because um, having to choose the lesser of two evils um, that you do have a voice in this thing. But our government is such that we do have different pieces of it that, that can affect another. And so understanding that, yes, there's a responsibility for us all um, to that. At some point, the, the co- collective country votes and 
picks leaders, picks laws, things like that. There is a Supreme Court that can make decisions on things. So how do we pick which organizations that we don't have to listen to and then we do? And I'm not, I'm not saying you're trivializing that to that degree, but there, you know, people will say this isn't a law because we didn't vote on it, we didn't agree on it, but the Supreme Court has the ability to make rulings on things. So how does – in your mind, how does that balance out, or, or how do those two things work together? Well, I think there definitely is a constitutional question of do we really have judicial supremacy? And I think that's a legitimate thing. I think that uh, just Chief Justice Roberts um, said it best. He said, listen, if you, if you support same-sex marriage and you're going to celebrate this ruling, um, you know, do so. Celebrate this ruling. Celebrate the five justices, but don't celebrate the Constitution because the Constitution had nothing to do with it. <laughs> right? It was. He put it very well. You're happy because you can, uh, you know, participate and partake in something you haven't been able to. Great, but don't thank the Constitution. The Constitution had nothing to do with it. And you know, even Justice uh, Scalia said, you know, this is going to cause. A, a lot of pain points within our culture because we did not go through the constitutionally prescribed way of creating social change. And that's kind of the biggest the biggest problem that liberals and conservatives have with each other. Liberals use every area to achieve these massive social change. They use government to do it. They use courts to do it. Very rarely do they win at the ballot box. But at the end of the day, we do have a constitution that prescribes that you know laws are made in the legislature – they are executed by the executive branch and that they are the, – the rules of fair play are actually juris, under the jurisdiction of the judiciary. Now, amazingly enough, who decides the jurisdiction of the judiciary? It's Congress. but Which should be a representative voice of the people. Should be. Absolutely. But it, larger still is the fact that we do have a Bill of Rights and we do have religious liberty. And I think too many people put their religious liberty on a, a back burner because they, they feel that if they're um, enacting this constitutional right or fighting for this constitutional right, that they're just making noise and somehow that, that you know, it's going to detract from our core mission as Christians, and that is spreading the gospel. Okay? But it's that same kind of, uh, I would call it, Jesus-juking theorism that causes pastors to get up and land blast football for 16 to 20 weeks during the fall. Testify. Right? It's that same kind of – it's basically just massive juice, Jesus juking. If you're fighting for constitutional right, you're fighting for your constitutional right, then you're not really spreading the gospel because someone might get offended by that. No, I'm trying to set the foundation that has – like I spoke of earlier, that has allowed us to send more missionaries than any other people group probably in world history, if you look at just raw numbers, right? And how has that been able to influence? Our religious liberty here at home allowed for that because churches weren't fighting for the religious liberty here. They were able to send people elsewhere where they didn't have that religious freedom, religious liberty. People tend to negate the effects of those foundational things and the facts that the creature comforts here at home allow us to do a lot of good elsewhere that we wouldn't have been able to do if we were merely fighting for survival and our right to 
uh, assembly and come together on Sunday mornings here at home. Hmm. You know, we it, it is said that there's like basic the three things is you know first you start out and you survive. Uh, then you kind of save, which means that you're dealing with your core group of people, and then you actually serve. Um, it's kind of kind of like the, the the theory of basic needs, right? I'm not going to go out and serve other people if I'm just fighting for survival or if I'm just saving for my retirement. I'm not going to serve others because I'm focused on my inner circle. And it's the same thing with the church. If the church is focused on merely surviving – it doesn't do as good a job equipping and sending. It doesn't. We see this in, in the New Testament. Yeah, absolutely right. When they're running for their lives in Jerusalem and things are all hairy, right? And it wasn't until they were able to kind of fix that situation that they were able to actually support the missionaries abroad. Hmm. It's just it's, it's the laws of nature is the laws of the way we work. And so I think that that would be my response to those to say, hey, we shouldn't fight for these rights. We should just let them go. To what end? That doesn't spread the gospel anymore or help us anymore. Hmm. All right. Well, let, let me uh, let me ask you a, a kind of a question, and we'll do a roundtable, and we'll probably have to close out pretty quickly. I, I for one, I haven't given my opinion yet. It's a very nuanced issue. Um, I think Kim Davis ultimately did the right thing by refusing to issue the same-sex marriage certificates uh, but, uh, you know, you could make a case that she did that legislatively correctly. You could make the Martin Luther King Jr. case that she did that according to God's moral law, which is very clear on this issue. Uh, see some of our past episodes if you don't know exactly why we're saying that. Um, but I, I just wonder if an accommodation could be made in this case, and this may have been what you were driving at earlier, Nathan, that somebody else in the Kentucky courthouse for this particular county would handle the same-sex marriage uh, issuing of licenses to where she doesn't have to violate uh, her religious beliefs. And, and I think that would be pro- appropriate in this situation. Here's, here's the question that um, – and l- let me read one response from Michael Brown, then I'll ask my question. Michael Brown has said this. What cannot be debated is that the national outrage against Kim Davis – and I've seen a lot of that – uh, commentators on Reddit, people on TV, etc., that are just lambasting her. Uh, she's definitely not a martyr, uh, nor is she worthy of all the outrage that has been directed her way. Uh, Brown says the national outrage against Kim Davis has nothing to do with her refusing to obey the law and everything to do with her stance, her Christian beliefs. Had she found herself on the opposite end of the conflict and had she stood for gay rights, refusing to obey a law that she felt discriminated against them, she would be praised from coast to coast. I think that's absolutely true. And Brown in his article refers to Gavin Newsom, former mayor of San Francisco, who in 2004 defied the law by issuing same-sex marriage certificates that were eventually ruled unconstitutional. Uh, He defied the law, and he was hailed as a hero. So this is not an issue of one side being mad at this particular woman because she broke the law, another side hailing this particular woman, uh, you know, for – that would have have hailed her if she hadn't broken the law. That's not the issue. The issue is where you stand on gay rights. Uh, That said, my understanding is is that Ms. Davis has been divorced three times uh, and that she is only denying marital certificates to 
uh, same-sex couples, not to other situations where the Bible might say this is not an appropriate divorce. So given the hypocrisy of a Christian who's been divorced three times, which the Bible is very clear on, on its take on divorce, given the hypocrisy of that, what, what, if anything, does that have to do with her position and where she stands on this, Nick? Does her hypocrisy undermine her, in other words? Um, <laughs> oh, that is, that is tough. Um, it, it keeps me from being willing to hold her up as a symbol of the faith or as some type of martyr because um, I, I, it's easy for Christians to be anti-gay. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they do it too easily, in my opinion. You preaching now, Nick. <laughs> I have a manual on my side. Lord knows what can happen. Um, because for so long... Um, and this isn't me trying to to um, say it, it, you know, agree with, with homosexuality and saying it's not sin. I don't, I don't believe that, and I've, I've never made that here. Um, but homosexuals can hide. Um, we force them into boxes in church for so long um, for not um, being willing to minister to them, not being willing to to address that it, homosexuality exists. It's you know, homosexuals aren't just people in a nightclub. That, that meet over there on Saturday and, and Sunday nights. They're, they're people we work with. They're people we do life with. People we podcast with. Other podcasts, not this one. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so say that's a provocative statement there. I was about to say, is, <laughs> moving on, I don't want to go 12 years old real quick. Um, but we've, we've forced homosexuality into this, this box that we manage a certain way. Um, we treat it as a different class of sin. We do, um, but but you know we don't want to tell um, the person who who has been divorced and remarried. We don't want to tell them there's anything wrong or, or that they have to, to change anything, um, because it's 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 the type of sin we're okay with. Um, everybody understands getting frustrated with their spouse, or um, nobody wants to tell someone they have to be alone for their whole life, and so um, it just it, it bothers me um, when we. When we vilify one type of sinner um, and and console another, because um, that's just not the gospel I see anywhere in, in the New Testament. So it keeps me from being willing to support her and say her rights have been violated as a believer. No, 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 no. I'm I'm kind of with you. Take the legal defense. Take the legal defense of religious liberty, but but. Just saying, you know, making her a martyr for the faith, I, I just can't do. And it's and here's the thing: there is there is there's a process in the word. We sin, we confess, we repent, we change. Um, what does that look like for someone who is who's been divorced? I, you know, there's a lot of prevailing theories on divorce and remarriage and when it's okay and when it's not. Um, here's what I know: is that God forbid my my marriage fail, um, the area. Um, I would choose to make a hardline decision on any time in my ministry that God would allow me to have going forward would not be marriage first. That's what I do know. So I'll throw it to you, General. Um, I kind of just pretty much agree with everything you said, really. Um, yes. 
I don't think that they. I can go to sleep. I don't, I don't think her divorces disqualify her moral stand because I mean, if if what she's doing is right, and I'm not I'm not convinced that it is, but if what she's doing is right, right is right. Doesn't matter who does it. However, like I said, I'm not going to make her a, a figurehead, and and there is a double standard, and we know that. But life is tough. Get over it. You know, Christians, you're not going to get a fair shake. Live with it. It's almost like the Bible told us that. a fair shake. No. We're promised the exact now, opposite. Just for yeah. the record. <laughs> yeah. Now, as a citizen, uh, you may be able to fight for certain rights as much as a citizen. And that's where I love the legal. That are, that are, you like know, Paul did when the, he was. Yeah. yeah. That's correct. He didn't stand up on his rights as Christian, which would have been stupid. He stood up for his rights as Roman. Exactly. And so I. I she picked the wrong argument. Her divorces don't bother me in the sense that I think that they're, you know, well, she shouldn't say anything because she's been divorced. If she's right on the issue, she's right. But they keep me from, like, you know, raising her as some kind of paragon of Christian uh, martyrdom. And she's just not. She's just a lady with convictions who doesn't want to sign marriage certificates. That's all. Okay. Nathan. <clears throat> all right, I have, I have, I have a. First of all, I will say that the church doesn't do sexual sin. Period. Well, period. Let's not pretend that it's only. Oh, we do it well. <laughs> <laughs> According to all these news stories that have been coming out, we don't handle. Wow. We don't handle it well. We everything from uh, the teenager that comes to us and. Uh, says that they're struggling with pornography um, to uh, the, the the gentleman who is facing some, some moral issues in his marriage to um, the 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 person who's dealing with same-sex attraction we don't deal with those issues well that's 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 a church issue let's not pretend that we don't just we deal every sexual sin issue. We handle it well and perfectly, except when it comes to uh, those with same-sex attraction and those in homosexual lifestyles, and then we completely screw it up. I, I don't like that victim mentality. We just don't do it well in general, and there's a lot of reasons why. The other thing is I don't necessarily it – doesn't, it doesn't bother me in the least, the quote-unquote hypocrisy, um, because – I can't stand it when people compare non-Christian marriages to um, gay marriages. There, there's two separate things. So first of all, the church didn't create marriage. Governments didn't create marriage. God created marriage. It is only our job to recognize it. I'll say it again. It's only our job to recognize it. When God created marriage, he didn't just create it for Israel. He didn't just create it for Christians. He created it for all mankind as a building block for families and cultures. So there have been some very nasty, sinning cultures out there who have actually benefited from marriage. Because we understand sociologically that marriage as a exercise between a man and a woman is actually beneficial. And it has benefits that tie to it regardless of whether it's two atheists that marry 
whether it's an atheist and a Christian, to Buddhists, being quote-unquote right with the Lord has nothing to do with the benefits that come from marriage because God created marriage. It's not just an institution within our religious beliefs. Those same benefits don't go with what we'll call unnatural marriage or, or gay marriage or fake marriage or whatever you want to call it. They don't because God didn't create that institution. So I have no problem with somebody defending one institution against the other. You know, people will say, well, she's not signed certificates for non-Christian marriages or people that are entering. That's not the point. The point is one is authentic marriage and one is not. One is something that God created. One is not. And it is okay. I have no problem with somebody saying, I want to recognize that which is God's created because that's my job. Not to, to hypothesize on it, not to talk about it. My job is to recognize it. That's my job because God created it. But I'm not going to recognize this because God didn't create it. We can't get into this battle of conflating the two. It just it, – it, we lose a lot of steam. We lose a lot of arguments and we lose a lot of uh, – we're chasing red herrings at that point. Um, so I, I have no problem. I don't see the, the great hypocrisy on it. She's not she, – it would be, one, be a whole thing if she was in a church setting and she was trying to handle this theologically. Then we can go into those nuances. Uh, but for where she's sitting, where she wants to say, I want to recognize that which God has created and I want to cast aside that which God has not created, I have no problem with that. But that's not her job. Her job is to do what a county clerk does. Well, her job is to uphold the Constitution of the state of Kentucky, and right now she is. The Supreme Court ruling, and that's, again, going back, does the Supreme Court ruling what five out of nine justices in Washington, D.C. wholesale erase that which was created in the Kentucky Constitution? Now, now I'm I'm big on states' rights, so I'm not disagreeing there. I'm just saying that, I don't know, just do your job or leave your job, I, you know. Now, if she now if you think that that's doing her job is to uphold the state, you know, knowing that she's going to get creamed for it, then that's fine. Like I said, I don't think that's necessarily a wrong decision, but I just don't like the martyrdom kind of. And honestly, that doesn't really bother me either. And I know that people say, "Well, let's not talk about how she's prosecuted because there are people actually dying for their faith in other now, countries." Now, now I'm not making that argument. I, right. hate, I hate that argument. But some people do, and I'm. We all. But Christians we, just like to jump on a bandwagon uh, abs- so desperately. Abs- I I completely understand it's, that. That it's just it, it's it's annoying, and you know, um, I don't know. I, I just let's just wait and see before we, you know, we don't even know if this lady is a real Christian. Well, we do. We hadn't even scanned her yet. But we do. We do. <laughs> we we do, we talked about this a little bit earlier. We have a tendency to elevate people onto pedestals very quickly in our culture. Um, and I think that's a detriment. We Historically, as humans, you had to earn your way to a status of reverence. And in our culture, it's a matter of, um, you know, if you create a YouTube clip that people like, it can go viral and, you know, all of a sudden – you're you're famous and it's like why are you famous because i did this thing 
And it's like we, we elevate very people very quickly and that's a whole other discussion. So I do – I don't like the fact that we're elevating her to that level of status. Um, but at the same time, I appreciate the stand she took and – I wish there were a lot more clerks that were willing to take that stand because that that's the only way you're actually going to win a state versus federal government battle is to force that. Um, and I think it was absolutely stupid to throw her in jail. Like the the federal judge that threw her in jail really just added. He actually helped her. Yeah, he didn't he know. He, didn't helped, know yeah. he he helped her a lot. So that was a judicial overstepping of bounds, I believe. Here's the thing. And we, we got to close up here because I think we've gone uh, quite a bit over time-wise. Um, great discussion, though. Great, great points. We're, we're not all in full agreement on this. There's so much nuance. Hypocrisy is something that uh, the world despises when it when they find it in Christians. The the world doesn't despise hypocrisy in everybody else. It's it's expected, but when when they find it in the people of God, it is it is. Um, very difficult. And I, I believe there is an element of hypocrisy in somebody standing for the purity of marriage who's had three divorces. Now, I don't know the circumstances of her divorce, but for instance, and this is kind of a preview to the next episode, uh, if Tulian Chavijan had come out this week with a strong biblical argument against uh, gay marriage, he would be right. But there would be an element of hypocrisy there in that he just admitted to an affair that um, played a part in breaking his marriage. Um, I don't know that we want to hear from Tuli and Chavijan right now on the purity of marriage, even though he could definitely make a biblical case on that. His hypocrisy weakens the stance. Now, that said, I completely agree with you, Nathan. She, it, it doesn't mean she's wrong. It just means there's a hypocritical element there. And I, dis- uh, I disagree with that. You, you don't think – you I disagree don't think, with that? I think we I need think to that's understand. the very definition of a hypocrite. I, I think a hypocrite is when you are preaching something and doing another. Which is what she's done. She has done something opposite – and she is not currently doing – if she was in the middle of a divorce. I, see, be, I, I see the nuance in what you're saying. And, that and is possible. So because it goes to this. Um, if I used to do drugs and heroin, does that mean that I'm prohibited from ever going to a school and telling kids don't do drugs? No, you're not. And that's, it also doesn't – it means you can stop your kids from doing drugs if you did drugs in the past and now you do that. You just ha- – there has to be a certain element of humility in it, absolutely. I'm right. not a paragon of virtue here. I'm a sinner, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and no, that's... I'm not judging Kim Davis. I don't know her well enough. I haven't watched reports. This is not something I've done a great deal of research on. But the fact that she has th- three broken marriages in her past weakens her stance, rightly or wrongly. Um, I don't think it nullifies her stance. So I think we probably are in agreement on that. Yeah. Very difficult situation. Um, probably we can have an ongoing dialogue about this. Mm-hmm. But for now, I believe we've reached the limit of our time, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's time to close out Episode 67. Well done, Nathan Martin. Oh, thanks. I need a applause crowd. That would be awesome. Sound effect. We always make our own sound effects because we're professionals. Well, David did that one time. All right. Well, great show. Good conversation. Um, I echo Chase's sentiments. Thank you, Nathan Martin, for your 
um, wonderful contributions as always general um, it is great to have someone who finally agrees with me on the show thank you for um, not shooting anybody <laughs> wow we, we went there day in over yet. so quickly um, <laughs> plastic Chris Atwood uh, would you like to say goodbye before we we get out of here yeah sure uh, tune in next time when you might hear plastic Chris Atwood say are you a hugger you like good mouthfeel gospel friends is for you Are you ready? I think so. Anybody have to take their belts off? Or that's the thing. That's true. Uh, that's, 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 that's on a belt on. Thing.